Well, it's great to be with you this morning. So, uh, over the last uh, six years, both my wife and I have developed a really good friendship with uh, Jeff and Becky. We've had vacations together, had some good meals together. We've had to sometimes restrain Becky from having third and fourth portions, but uh, <laughs> but it's also it's so good to be here with AJ, missing Alan. But we've been friends with AJ for 27 years and uh, a long history there. Um, I. Uh, travel for, gosh, this is our 38th year of international ministry. Uh, Go travel about 130, 140 days a year internationally all over Asia, Australia, Africa, and a lot in Europe and the UK, North America. And last night, you know, I travel about, I fly about 150,000 miles a year. And if you're of the mindset that traveling is glamorous, just tell the person next to you, reach over and slap you in the side of the head right now. It's just that it, traveling is not glamorous. Sometimes the places you get to are, but, uh, or the people you are is a better way of looking at it. But I had something happen last night that in the five million plus miles I've flown, it's only happened twice. Um, the first time it happened was about maybe 15, 18 years ago. I'd been ministering in the outback of um, um, Africa, Southeast Africa, and in between sessions, uh, we had an experience where the absolute glory of God fell for about an hour, and um, you, you know the people I was with, uh, Heidi and Roland Baker, and uh, for about an hour, uh, out in the middle of nowhere behind a large tree, just... Uh, for an hour, as I looked at people, it was like you were swimming in water you, and you, you're in the pool, you know, you, you're in, you look at people through the water, everything's blurry. And we really couldn't move for over an hour. And we, in the midst of that, we had prophetic words about what God did in the obscure places. We're going to the mainstream. And uh, we had, as a result of that, one of the most ex- probably expensive prayer meetings that ever happened. The bakers flew all the way from uh, Mozambique to Toronto, and I flew from the States to Toronto about three weeks later, and we had um, uh, three days of intensive prayer meetings, just a small handful of international leaders. And uh, I flew from uh, the States and arrived in Toronto, and there was a major uh, rainstorm going on, and, but there was lightning and thunder and so they pulled the plane up, but we had to sit on the plane for three hours before they would open up the gates for us because there's an international law that if there's a chance of thunder and lightning on the tarmac, the ground crew cannot work. That was the only time that's ever happened until last night. I flew from San Diego yesterday morning to Houston and then Houston to Nashville. The plane was delayed because a lot of uh, weather and finally we flew and it's supposed to be a short flight. It took uh, quite a bit longer because of the turbulence, did a lot of circling. And then we finally landed and uh, we sat on the tarmac for about uh, 100 uh, yards away from the gate for almost an hour because of the threat of lightning and thunder and just watching at the window, just sheets of water coming down. It says in Psalm 68 that when the presence of the Lord goes forth, the earth quakes and the rains come to the parched land. And I understand for several days, not just last night, but you've had a lot of rain. And 
about two weeks ago, as I began to pray into this time with you, I felt like God gave me a very specific word. And it really uh, begins to uh, come out of uh, John chapter 2, the, the miracle, the first miracle Jesus did on earth as a man. And you know the story that he shows up with his disciples at the wedding party in Cana. And the wedding party is well underway. They've already drank all the wine. They're out of wine. And uh, being a good Jewish party, they needed some more to keep going. And uh, Jesus' mother comes to him. Jewish people are not the only people that uh, do that, are they? (laughs) But uh, Jesus' mother sees him and says, son, they've run out of wine. And Jesus said to her, he made a theological and uh, prophetic statement. He said, woman, my hour has not yet come. And he was indicating that the true wine of the Holy Spirit would not be released until you know, three years later after his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension to the Father when the Spirit was poured out. But his mother had this uh, wonderful anointing of nagging. And uh, she, she kind of read him between the lines. She looks at him and says, you know, I, I know you just said something that, just w- that was ecumenical, eschatological, prophetic, theological that just went way over my head, but we have a need here. Would you do something about it? And so she said to the servants, fill these, or do whatever he tells you to do. And they had six ceremonial washing pots that they would use for weddings, and each one held between 20 and 30 gallons. And Jesus said, fill them to the brim with water. And so he fills them with water. He said, now dip your pitchers in, fill them up, and take them to the steward of the wedding, the man overseeing the wedding party. And as you know, when they, if you've read it, if they dipped their pitchers in, it was still water. But somewhere between the journey of there and where the wedding party is, kind of like they were way down the hall into this building, and they're meeting with Jesus, and he says, now take it into the, the main wedding party, like in this room here, somewhere on that journey... A miracle took place. And I'm not speaking specifically on miracles and healings, but uh, let me encourage you in something that a lot of times when you pray for someone to be healed or even the person prayed for, when they're not immediately healed, people are disappointed thinking, oh, God hasn't done that. But my experience is that probably 60, 70% of most miracles and healings do not happen the moment the person's prayed for, but within the next two to three hours to two to three days. Uh, significant things. And it's a lot like, you know, Jesus prayed for the 10 lepers. They weren't healed when he prayed for them, but he said, go and show yourself. And as they went on their journey, they were healed. And that's a lot how it works. I'm just throwing in that encouragement to some of you who love to pray for the sick. But they bring the water, the pitchers, uh, to the steward, and by now it's turned into wine. And uh, he tastes it, and he sends for the bridegroom, who's paying for the bills, you know. And he says, usually, people serve the good wine first. And that's because at parties, none of you have ever been to a party like this, but at parties where they drink quite a bit of wine, they drink the good wine, after a while, their taste buds are no longer discerning things, and then they bring out the ripple, the T-bird, the thunderbird, you know, (laughs) the cheap stuff. But he says... Most people serve the good wine first, but you have saved the best for... That's what most translations say. 
And over 17 translations I've seen in the English language, they say last. And I've researched this in different countries in Spanish translations, Korean translations, uh, uh, different Chinese translations in Norway and Sweden, everywhere I go, I, I check this. And the majority of translations say you save the best for last. But in the better translations of this passage, and actually in the original language, that's not what it says. It says you have saved the best for now. I understand this is a rather subtle distinction, but I believe it's a critical distinction particularly in our Western world culture where so much of what we do is working to the future. If you're in grades 1 to 12, you know, you're going through high school, you know, to get a job, get educated, or maybe going to college and university, four years, six years, whatever. It's to get that good degree so you can get a good job. And then you work your job and maybe every week or every other week or at the end of the month you get commissions or you get a salary, you get a paycheck. You're doing what you're doing five, six days a week for something you're going to get down the road. And then you work and you work and you work. You maybe save money so in the future you can buy a house or have a vacation or, you know, have a retirement. And so much of what we do, so much of our mindset is geared towards working toward the future. And that, in one sense, is very biblical because, you know, God is like a farmer. He plants seeds and later on there's a harvest. But on the other side of the coin, the reality is there's only one moment in time you can experience the Holy Spirit, and that is right now. You know, there's so many people thinking revival, a great breakthrough, it's going to come in six years, six months. But Jesus said, do not say that the harvest is six months. The harvest fields are ripe today. Today is the day that we're to rejoice. Today is the day that the Lord has created. In Lamentations chapter three, in the midst of his grieving for the destruction of Jerusalem that's gone on, Jeremiah proclaims God's compassions, his mercies are new every day. David in the shepherd Psalm, one of the most famous Psalms in all the world, He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And in praying about being with you this weekend, I felt the Lord speak to me so clearly that he's bringing a shift and, and not maybe for some of you a dramatic shift, but he's bringing a shift because he wants Grace Center to be a now people. And I'm not saying you're not preparing for the future. I'm not saying you're not preparing for growth. I'm not saying you're not teaching, training, and all the things for the future. That's good. It's biblical. But today is the day to seek first the kingdom of God. Today is the day of breakthrough. And if we spend all of our time thinking the breakthrough is coming tomorrow, it's never going to come because you never get to tomorrow. You're always in today. And obviously there's some things, like in <clears throat> my wife and I, when we moved to Toronto and I left California in May of 1992, and the first week there, <coughs> excuse me, we'd arranged the, the timing to be there in time to do a prophetic conference with the small church at that point. And that first week in that prophetic conference, I say it saw Niagara Falls coming down of the city of Toronto in a vision. 
And it was a long prophecy when it was transcribed, but the Lord said in, by late 93, early 94, I'm going to pour out my spirit, and um, it's going to go from there in the nations. Toronto had never, ever experienced a major revival before. But uh, our church took it and prayed into it, believed that word. And I preached a couple times to our church and some other churches in Toronto. And sure enough, in late uh, January of 1994, the Holy Spirit was poured out and they estimated that between January 1994 and about the year 2001, somewhere between four and five million people walked the doors of our church from the ends of the earth. And that move is still continuing on. But it had to do with the living waters being poured out. What that story Jeff was telling you about, Kim and I had the privilege uh, back, that was what, maybe three years ago, four years ago, no, maybe five years ago even. But uh, Jeff's nodding his head like, yeah, whatever, Mark. Uh, uh, But uh, Kim and I, my wife, had the privilege of being with you, and we did a conference. I think we started Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, and final meeting was Sunday night. And I, I kind of had the sense on Sunday night during worship that even going that long, four nights, we weren't going to be able to get all the Lord wanted to do. And I casually said to Jeff, you know, uh, we were living in Ohio at that time, so we'd flown, driven down rather than flown. I said, Kim and I can easily stay another day or two. I said, why don't we pray about doing another meeting? And Jeff was sharing that, that uh, possibility with the staff in that meeting Monday morning, and there was kind of a mixed reaction. People were glad for the conference, all got it done, but oh gosh, do we need another night? And then, you know, that voice came out of uh, Alan's cell phone that was muted and there were no apps open. And it, I, I thought about it, you know, if, if they'd had cell phones back in the day of Daniel, rather than God writing with his finger on the wall, it would have come out through a cell phone, you know. It's, uh, we're just a little bit more high tech today. But we did have that special meeting Monday night, and it was an incredible night of worship in the presence of the Lord. And as the band was leading worship before I got up and ministered, Sarah was up right over here painting a picture. And uh, were you able to get that up, guys? Yeah. Thumbs up. Great. And she painted this picture. And... uh, my wife and I, uh, because of our international ministry, we've, we're friends with artists, painters and sculptors, musicians all over the world, and we've been given a lot of great artwork. In fact, we've been given some not so much great artwork. That's, that's why you need a basement, you know? But uh, <laughs> problem is, we don't have basements in California, so... But uh, we've got a lot of great artwork, and a lot of it's been given to us, but as she was painting that, I looked over at Kim, we're sitting right here, and I said, Kim, whatever happens, we've got to get that picture. And uh, I talked to Sarah afterwards, and she said she felt like the Lord spoke to her during worship, that the picture was for us. And so we bought it, and we paid more for that piece of artwork than we've ever paid for a piece of artwork. But we've got it hanging in our living room. I had my uh, my daughter, second daughter, lives with us, uh, just take a picture about an hour ago, and text it, that there's a pool of water there. This is how I interpret it anyway. (laughs) But there's a pool of water and there's waterfalls coming down. In the center of the waterfalls, there's an open doorway. And I believe that's a prophetic picture of where you're at a church right now. 
this winter, this spring of 2019, you have an open doorway in the midst of the living waters of God's presence to go deeper and further in than you've ever been before. And what that may mean is for some slight adjustments in how we think about our days. One of the uh, things about uh, growing up or growing old is you have to consider where you want to be in your life. You know, Tony was talking about that school of life. I feel like I've been in the school of life for 62 years and I still haven't graduated. I'm still trying to find out some of the keys. But the choice in life is either to change or to be changed. And what that means is either we stay a student or you just kind of grow old. And that's something I determined 30 years ago. I want to grow up before I grow old. And as I think about, um, you know, the 37 years of international ministry, 38 years now, and the 38, almost 38 years my wife and I have been married, and our three kids, all three of our kids are walking with God. We're so excited about where they're at. With my wife and I, our, our marriage, our friendship, our romance is better than it's ever been, you know. But one regret I have is that as I look back, especially when really, really busy seasons, when I've traveled more than 120 or 140 days a year, you know, I've written six or seven books and all the projects we've done, all the international stuff, is there's been seasons where, to my regret today, I've been more focused on what I was about to do than who I was with at the time. And I wish I could go back to those days and put a bit more focus than I did in those days on my wife and my children. And God has been so good. Like I said, our marriage is in incredible condition. Our children are doing well. But I think possibly the one regret we might have in heaven is that realize there were certain opportunities we had but we missed it because we're just so wrapped up in our little world, we missed the bigger picture of what God was doing in the kingdom. I want to qualify what I'm saying by just mentioning that I believe that when it comes to our marriages, our families, our jobs, our careers, our talents and abilities, whatever they may be, artistic or otherwise, that we're to do those to the glory of God. We're to pursue excellence in those. So what I'm talking about this morning is not shortchanging, you know, the people around you are not shortchanging your career. I, I believe one of the best testimonies we have a Christian is to do our job, no matter who we're working for, unto the glory of God. So I'm not talking about uh, being irresponsible with the responsibilities God has given us. But what I'm saying that over everything... There's this one overarching thing that overshadows everything, and I believe God wants to allow to permeate everything we do, and that's the absolute wonder and glory of who he is. The absolute wonder and glory who he is. We all have certain <clears throat> Bible verses that are very meaning in a particular way to each of us, and one of the things that I often pray daily is a verse, just one verse, really, out of Psalm 145. Sometimes I'll read Psalm 145 or read the whole thing through in my um, worship of the Lord in the mornings. But one verse particularly, Psalm 145, verse 3, give thanks, uh, praise the Lord greatly, uh, for he's worthy of all praise. 
And then it goes on to say, his glory is unsearchable. St. Augustine said this about the glory of God, that God is like this vast circle that no matter how far you journey in towards the center of that circle, you're never gonna come to the absolute core of it. But he also said, no matter how far you go to the outskirts of his glory, you're never gonna exhaust it. Because again, as the psalmist said, his glory is absolutely unsearchable. Job said, God, we have barely touched the edges of your ways. There is an invitation right now, right now, I believe, at this season for Grace Center. And I believe in, in kind of a, <clears throat> a low-key sense, we were picking up on that at that conference five years ago, that there's so much more God has for you. And uh, Jeff and I, we talk every now and then on the phone. He's been telling me recently things have been happening, things have been happening in worship and healings and things like that. And just shared with me that, you should, did you tell, tell about the vision you had or about the earthquake? But as he shared that with me and then what I experienced last night, you know, this, this lightning and thunder right there at the airport, unable to get off and just, you've had five days of rain, I guess. I thought immediately of Psalm 68, that when the presence of the Lord goes forth, the earth quakes and the rains come to the parched lands. I, I want to challenge you that I think to a small degree maybe, but maybe a pivotal degree, the Lord may want to change some of our mornings. Now, let me qualify that. There's two types of people in the world. There's night people and morning people. I'm a night person. I'm at my very best at 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. I don't understand people that wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. They're just buzzing without having any coffee. I just, I just think they need to be slapped around a little bit. They're, they're greatly annoying. You know, some people say there's two types of people in the world. There's people that say the cup is half empty, cup is half full, and then there's engineers that say, well, let's just redesign the cup, re-engineer it. But I maintain the two different types of people in the world are people that wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. And then there's people like me that wake up and say, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my, I grew up in kind of an Italian family. My angels aren't even on the move till they've had a double espresso about nine o'clock, you know. <laughs> But for about a number of years now, maybe five or 10 years, but especially over the last few months, as I've been sensing different parts of the world where I've been in Korea and different places, uh, beginning to be some breakthroughs of the glory of God, the, the pure essence of who he is manifesting. I've been challenging myself in the morning that before I even get out of bed, um, reciting and praying out certain verses, such as I mentioned in Lamentations. And I'll say to myself, Mark, God's compassions for you are new this morning. I'll say, Mark, celebrate this day because this is the day the Lord has made. And I'll say, Mark, God's blessings for you are gonna follow you all the days, including today. And then I'll begin to press in on that. 
I'll begin to spend some time, again, even before I get out of bed, just worshiping the Lord. And it may only be for five minutes or maybe even three minutes. This is not my regular devotion. But I've been challenging myself before I even get out of bed and stumble in the kitchen and get the coffee maker going, which is of absolute critical, primary, vital importance. (laughs) But even before that, I'll spend some time just proclaiming Jesus, the wonder of who he is. And I'm being intentional about this because I'm wanting to wake myself up that I don't want to lose one opportunity, one kingdom moment of this day. Yesterday was a long day, and I just, uh, I told Jeff when, you know, Jeff was very patiently just waiting in his car for about an hour and a half, you know, um, finally we got there and I said, Jeff, if I ever have to be locked up in a psych ward, it's going to be entirely due to too much time on airplanes. But yesterday was a long day. Got a fairly early morning flight to Houston, then a layover there and delayed flight. And then the plane circled and circled over Houston or Nashville and finally landed and then sit an hour on the tarmac before they can roll up to the gate and all of that. And, uh, you know, I, I just find that stuff very draining. But then we finally got, we were able to get a, a late night dinner, and we uh, had a brief interaction with a gentleman about 60 years old, and, um, and he had three young guys with them at the restaurant before we were seated, and then they ended up being seated right uh, near us. And I noticed that um, as their food was served, the, uh, the man said to three guys, let's join our hands, and they all joined their hands and prayed a blessing over the food. I thought, oh, that's cool. And, uh, but as we continued, all of a sudden the Lord gave me a, a download. He gave me a prophetic picture for this gentleman. And I saw him uh, standing in a, like a, a, bas- a high school basketball court, and the bleachers fill with about uh, two or three hundred high school kids, and him talking to them in a very casual but encouraging way about the, not only the love of God, but having a sense of self-worth and self-respect, and their lives being changed. And so they ended up uh, paying their bill and getting up to leave shortly before we did. So Jeff and I jumped on that moment. And I said, I said, I got up and I said to them, I said, excuse me, I don't mean to be strange, but can I say something to you? And we'd already had a little bit of interaction before. He said, yes. And I said, I'm a pastor. I said, sometimes God speaks to me about people. And I shared the vision with them. And he was really taken with this. And he says, well, actually, I already do that sometimes a little bit. But he said, I'm going to take that to heart, and I'm, I'm going to walk away with that. Thank you. Now, that, you know, um, some people are raging what they call prophetic evangelists. They're just very adept at talking to complete strangers in supermarkets and things like that with words. I, I, don't, I don't do that sort of thing. Um, I'm what's known as an extroverted introvert. It means I like being around people for short periods of time, and then I like to tell them, hey, the bus is leaving. You better get on it, you know? Uh, <laughs> I enjoy being around people, but it's not necessarily where I get my energy from, if you follow me. But that's the sort of moment that, you know, if I hadn't gotten up, you know, a little bit early yesterday morning for getting ready to go to the airport and all of that, saying, Lord, this is your day. You have established, you have created this day. It's for your glory. I'm celebrating it. Lord, this day, I'm going to seek first your kingdom. And so... Uh, I told the first service, my wife and second daughter, they're on this, uh, 
uh, utterly ridiculous 30-day, what's it called? 30-day, whole? Whole 30 diet. <laughs> they even told me that Chipotle has a whole 30 burrito. What, what a joke, you know? <laughs> See, this is why you pray blessings over your food. Order what you want and just bless it. If my wife were here, I'd be in all sorts of trouble. I'd be in all sorts of trouble. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was here, and Jeff and Becky took my wife and I out to uh, see some classic southern restaurant. You know, where they've got the fried catfish, chicken fried steak, the, you know, the, the collars and greens. You know, everything's got about 5,000 calories per bite, you know. And I told Jeff last night, I really love that. He says, really? He said, Becky and I are trying to get away from that stuff. I said, are you kidding? There's life in that food. Come on. (laughs) But uh, I want to encourage you to take the next 30 days and set your alarm clock for even just five or 10 minutes earlier than you normally would and spend about three to uh, five minutes or so, even before you get out of bed, just praising God for who he is. And even if you're going off to a job that you don't like or working for a boss that's just all over you, you know, or maybe it's going to be a very problematic week and you're just dreading it, you know, take five minutes. And this is in addition to your normal devotions. Just say, Lord, I'm celebrating today because you created it. That Lord, your compassions for me are new today. And then take another three to five minutes and recite to yourself and thank God out of 3 John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John, excuse me, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, where John says, behold. And to behold means to look intently. Take that verse, look intently at it, And recite it to the Lord and yourself and say, Behold what manner of love God has given me that I should be called a child of God, a son or daughter of God. And the next verse, John says, And such we are. When you walk out of your bedroom in the morning, spend time first praising God, but secondly, sealing in your little mindset as you go through that day, that it's not just a random day where random things are going to happen. It's just not another day to go through the motions. It's not just another day to punch the time card. It's not just another day to do the things you always have to do. But it is a 24-hour period that God has created for you to know him and for you to know the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of his love and to make that love known. And... This is a very, very elementary discipleship message I'm giving you, obviously, but that's not the point. The teaching is not the point. The point is you have an invitation. Can you put the picture back up there just for a moment? You have a picture right now. And not to make too much of the picture, but even as we went back into worship and we did a lot of things uh, at the end of the second service, but I had such a sense of just like right up in front, we were like in a three-foot waiting pool 
of just the glory, the goodness of God. And again, you can interpret that differently if you'd like. You're free to be wrong, but (laughs) what you're looking at is a pool of water with the glory of God emanating from it and the living waters, the falls coming down from heaven. But right in the midst of that, there's an open doorway. This is a time. And the key is we need to be a now people. Not just thinking the blessings and the breakthroughs are at the end of the semester or the next paycheck or the next vacation or the next degree or the next new house or the next new car. Maybe the next motorcycle, but that's a different thing. But but today... This is the day the Lord has made. Today is the day to seek first the kingdom. And as the old line goes, if not you, who? If not now, when? If not here, where? So many people are waiting for this big bang moment. Let me tell you, you've already been given a big bang Holy Spirit. There's nothing. And I want to conclude by saying that if you feel like you're overwhelmed by life right now, love is a very inconvenient thing. Love is a very inconvenient thing. We like to program our love. Like, you know, I was uh, actually in Canada, Valentine's Day weekend, and so I couldn't be with my wife that weekend. But so <coughs> four days before when I was home, we celebrated Valentine's. We celebrated our marriage and our love and our friendship. And we do things like that. We go out on date nights and we have family gatherings and, you know, maybe take the kids to soccer and things and vacations, all of that. And we plan, we strategize to have fun and life together. But the reality is love is very inconvenient. And as I said, if there's one thing I could change in looking back over the years, that I would have realized that today... It's the day to give 110% to my kids. Today is the day to give 110% to my wife. Today is the day to give 120% to Jesus. Not just writing the books for future publication, not just preparing for future conferences and meetings, not just doing the admin for all the stuff coming up. All of that, yes, but more than that, today is the day. And God is wanting a now people. And As I said, love is not convenient, but the cross was not convenient for Jesus, was it? Love is very often so inconvenient, but I think, as I said, if there's one regret the saints are gonna have, we're gonna have in heaven, it's realizing there may have been lost opportunities. Even as Jesus looked at Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you about me as a mother hen does her chicks but you missed the time of your visitation. And I don't say that with, a, with any condemnation, and the fact that you're here today means that you're right on time. But I wanna challenge you as we continue on with the winter and go into spring of 2019, as a church, you're on the verge of something. You're on the verge of something. I've, uh, one of the coolest testimonies we have. Uh, We try to document the miracles we use for testimonies. And one absolutely documented miracle we have 
I've shared this before. I use it as an illustration about our authority in Christ when I teach on healings and miracles. But it actually happened uh, 13 years ago. I didn't find out about it till three years ago. And at that time, we shot a video with the father and his son. Father's name is John Ireton. We had done four nights of meetings in a church in California, a lot of ministry every night, getting out late out of there, 11 o'clock every night. And after a lot of ministry for the four previous nights, I was tired and I was walking out the door the last night. Almost everyone's gone and a father walks up to me with his, at that time, 12-year-old son. And he said, "Uh, do you have one more prayer left in you? And I said, well, what's the need? And he said, well, my 12-year-old son has been a severe epileptic for five years now. He has severe seizures, two, three, sometimes four nights a week. He's slowly turned into a vegetable. He can't function. Less, he's functioning less and less, and um, you know his whole life is going down the twos. But we, my wife and I believe God will do a miracle. I didn't have any faith in me at that point. I'd used it up, but I love that story in the book of Acts where Paul looked intently at the eyes of a young man and saw that he had faith to be healed. Jesus <coughs> saw the faith of the four friends who carried in the paralyzed man, so he healed him. <coughs> I wasn't experiencing faith that moment, but I saw the Father was filled with it. And so I prayed, but in the testimony, you'll hear the Father say, I was angry at you because I brought my son every night for four nights when he should have been home in bed because that's when he gets seizures. I kept thinking you would have a word of knowledge about epilepsy, but you didn't. And then when you finally prayed for my son, all you prayed was for 10 seconds and then you just left us. You walked away. And he said, you put your hand on his back and said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of affliction called epilepsy and I bless your whole nervous system to be healed, and he just walked away. He said, I was angry. But at the end of the week, the parents realized it was the first week in five years with no seizures. At the five-week mark, the neurologist who'd been working with this young man for five years did extensive testing, and he said, I've never seen or heard anything like this. We cannot find any trace of epilepsy. And when I... When I met this, this uh, father and son, the son is now 23. He's a United States Marine. He trains young recruits in physical fitness. His medication when he was suffering epilepsy was so strong that it took two years to slowly decrease it once they determined he had no longer had it. And from, he went from becoming a vegetable, he learned how to swim, He made the high school swim team. He made the water polo team. He learned how to surf. And it's so cool because the very areas where the enemy tries to wound us at, God will use us for his glory. But it it was not a convenient time. And so you can tell me all the stress you're under right now, and I feel sorry for you, but in the end, I don't give a rip. Because this is the day the Lord has made. His compassions for this season are new. They're fresh. They're nothing you've ever experienced before. And his goodness and mercy as you go on with them are going to follow you this season in just an amazing way. Let's stand and let's have the band come out. Turn to the person next to you and say, excuse me. Now say to them, 
Normally, when I'm about to experience the glory of God, I need more room than you're giving me right now. <laughs> Let's spread out a little bit. We've got room up front and the sides, you know, but... Would you just close your eyes right now and just hold out your hands in a posture of not only receiving, but a posture of surrender. And would you just lift your voice to the Lord and say, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, say that name, Jesus. It's the name above all names. Jesus, don't pass us by. Don't pass me by. David sang in the Psalms, Lord, my feet run hard after you. This is a day, this is a moment. Let's pursue the wonder, the excellence, the majesty, the triumph, the beauty of who Christ Jesus is the perfect reflection of the Father. He is the Word, the Father made known. He's absolutely pure, absolutely compassionate, absolutely kind, absolutely holy. He is all powerful. Everything that exists has been created by Him and for Him. Go ahead. Call out that name, sing out that name, shout out that name. Just lift up that name. And we say, Jesus, this is the day. This is the day that you have created. We rejoice in it. This is the day you have created. We rejoice in it. Your compassions are new this day. Don't pass us by. Your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. We celebrate this day. We celebrate 2019. We celebrate this winter. We celebrate this season in Nashville and Franklin. We celebrate who you are. We celebrate the wonder of your kingdom. Go ahead, just speak out that name. Sing out that name, Jesus. Just go ahead and uh, just sing out the name of Jesus. Jesus.